morning, what we're going to be looking at is a portion of Scripture from 1 Peter 2. We're going to look at 1 Peter 2. We're going to start with verse 13, and I'm going to read down to verse 25. And we're going to talk about this idea of serving, not sulking. So I want you to just think about that for a second. Even as I read this portion of Scripture, we're talking about serving, not sulking. And this is what it says in 1 Peter 2. I'm going to start with verse 13, but it says this. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is the gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given to us right now to take a look at your word, and we recognize that these are circumstances that are different from what we're used to. We're not used to this sort of arrangement. I admit, even even for me, it, it just feels so strange to... Uh, be sharing these things in the midst of an empty room when normally we have the opportunity to, to come together and to worship you face-to-face, enjoying fellowship with one another in that kind of capacity. But Lord, here we are in the midst of a circumstance that's quite different, and yet by your grace we have the privilege to worship you just the same. So Lord, we commit this time to you right now. We pray that your hand of of blessing and protection would be upon us in every context that you find us in. And Lord, we pray that we would honor you and just be uh, people who have prepared hearts for the teaching of your word as we, look at t- as we look at this portion of your word together right now. So Lord, we're grateful for this. We commit this time to your care, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so, There are certain aspects of the Christian faith that are quite different from some of the more common cultural expectations. And when you look at some of the differences, I think one of the big differences is the attitude of heart that we're encouraged in Scripture to convey. And some of our, some of the aspects of our culture seem to value things like dominance. Uh, Some of the aspects of our culture seem to value things like control. 
But God's Word encourages us to value cultivating the heart of a servant. So again, think about that for just a moment today, cultivating the heart of a servant. What does that look like in this specific context to do that? I think servanthood is one of those things that is easier to value in theory than it is to value in practice. Uh, Many times I've heard it said, and you've heard me say this before, uh, but I've heard it said that servanthood sounds great right up to the point where someone actually treats you like a servant. So the concept of servanthood sounds great right up to the point where someone actually treats you like a servant. You've probably heard me say this before as well, but I used to think about this a lot when I was directing the ministry up up at the Pocono Mountain Bible Conference, because frequently during the retreat season there, one of the things that I would help out with was working in the dish pit if help was needed there. And it was usually one of the tasks I would take on at the end of a retreat to mop up the dining hall and mop up the cabins. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, this isn't very glamorous. It needs to get done. I need to do it. Uh, But when people would sometimes just kind of toss their dishes in at me and splash their food on me and things of that nature, I think, all right, has my life really come to this where I'm being covered in somebody's discarded food while I wash it up? And so it was a moment where I was reminded, all right, offer hospitality without grumbling And service sounds like a great thing right up to the point where someone tosses their food on you or treats you like a servant. Now, I'm bringing this up today because I think, if you're anything like me, I think many of us feel a bit cooped up right now. I'm feeling a little bit cooped up. Um, Many of the places that we work at have closed completely. Uh, That's true for most of us, I think, at this point. Uh, Most of the places that we might be tempted to visit for a change of scenery, they're also closed. So everything feels pretty much closed. And again, even as I'm preaching this message, I'm doing so in the midst of an empty building. And it feels weird because it is weird. But it'll get even worse if we don't find some creative outlets for service. So many of you know that in our household right now, We have four teenage children. Now, one of them is almost not a teenager anymore, but at at present, we have four teenage children. And the last thing we want them doing during this shutdown and during this quarantine is for them to just be sitting around all day, staring at screens. That seems like the least productive way that they can uh, be spending their time. Several weeks of that is enough to drive anyone crazy. And so what we're trying to model in our household specifically right now and what we're trying to encourage everyone in the household to kind of have a feeling for and have a a value for is this idea of service and actually what it looks like to serve in the midst of unusual times. So let me give you a couple pictures of this, even just to illustrate this concept before we we pick apart the scripture that I just read for us a moment ago. Uh, So for instance... I'm connected with a whole group of pastors, quite a few pastors, some I know well and some I don't even know at all, but uh, I'm connected with them just through a variety of means. And I've realized over the course of this week in talking to many of them that quite a few of them have never done anything like live streaming a worship service or using some of the options where you can manage uh, church life and, and provide spiritual care in a remote way. So what do you do when a whole bunch of pastors are forced with an option where they, they, they can't gather together face-to-face with their congregation, and they're trying to figure out remote solutions? And so what I did with a, a group of others, we put together uh, a training event that we had on Wednesday where we opened it up for pastors to all get together online 
and uh, we would train them in some mobile solutions for leading their church. And I was pleased to see how many pastors got involved. There were over there were over 1,200 that got involved in that specific training event. I think it got up to about 1,250, somewhere around there, that ultimately logged on to that. We were able to show some mobile solutions. But then I also realized that because we did that in the day on Wednesday and we were focused on some specific things, that there were others that we were missing and we probably needed to do something like that again for uh, an evening. And so for Thursday evening, we hosted another training event and trained another group of pastors and a whole bunch of people and uh, you know pastors and other church leaders got on this training event. I thought it was productive. I know it was certainly helpful to me instead of feeling like I was cooped up. Uh, I felt like I was actually serving people in a way that was helpful to them. And so we were able to help you know quite a few church leaders in doing that. Now, my wife and my son at least at, at the moment, are for the most part um, able to, to work their jobs with a little bit of adjustment. But my other kids, um, they really can't. Their jobs have either canceled or closed. Their schooling is closed. And so everybody's trying to figure out what are we going to do. And so this is what it's looked like in our household this week. Uh, one of my sons has decided to start helping out somebody with a bunch of yard work. So he gets outside, he enjoys the fresh air, he's helping out with yard work, he's helped out with other projects. One of my daughters has been uh, helping a family with just a variety of needs, uh, a family in the area she's helped out, and it's been nice to see her do that. My other daughter had two jobs that she was working, and uh, they both called and, and said everything's off the table for a while until things go back to normal. And so she was looking online and noticed that local grocery stores had an emergency need for additional staff. She printed up a resume, went down to the grocery store, submitted it. They interviewed her the next day, and after the interview, they hired her on the spot. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I was pleased to see that. I'm pleased to see our family kind of catching a vision for this, and hopefully your family is starting to catch a vision for this as well, where we try and look for creative outlets to serve for Christ's glory, and for the benefit of our community in the midst of unusual times. And I think this is something that will help us navigate this time productively and more effectively, and it's certainly, again, better than just sitting around all day watching TV shows or watching things on our phone or watching things on our iPads or computers, this live stream excluded, okay? This one's allowed. But the other thing, you know, we just can't... uh, we just can't sit around and loaf the whole time. Sometimes it's better to, to serve than it is to sulk. Now, I want to get now into the scripture that I just read to us a few moments ago, because there are things here that are very relevant to us in the context that we're in right now. And when we talk about this idea of serving instead of sulking, I want to point out a few things to us from 1 Peter 2. And in 1 Peter 2, when you look at verses 13 to 17, I'll reread these in a second, One of the things that we're encouraged to do in this portion of Scripture is to live as people who are free. Now, think about that for just a second, particularly in the context that we're in right now. It doesn't feel very very much like a freedom to feel confined. And yet the Scripture encourages us to live as people who are free. Well, what does that look like in a context like we're in right now? Look again at verse 13 down to verse 17 of 1 Peter 2, uh, because in that, that group of verses it says this. It says, "...be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let me pause there for just a second. Um, if, if you ask my parents, they would confirm what I'm about to say to you. And those of you that know me well, um, you would not be surprised by this. But I am confident that I was not an easy child to raise. Uh, from an early age, I wanted as much independence as I could possibly get. I wanted to earn my own money. I wanted to go wherever I wanted to go. I wanted to operate by my own set of rules. I wanted to listen to my own counsel above uh, the counsel of my parents. Uh, I'll also admit, you know, there was a pretty messed up time of my childhood uh, that kind of developed within me, I think, particularly during that season, some real pronounced trust issues. Uh, so sometimes I felt like it was difficult for me to actually trust that adults were making decisions that were in my best interest during that era. And so I remember finding it difficult as a child to cooperate with certain authority figures in my life until I came to the spot where I learned to trust and respect them. And then you look at a portion of scripture like what we just read. And this scripture encourages followers of Christ to be people who are known for respecting authority particularly the authorities that have the responsibility of governing and keeping order. And let me say this, that all sounds good in theory, but just consider for a moment what it must have been like for the original audience, the original group of people that received this letter from Peter, this original group of Christians, these early Christians, to hear this teaching as the Holy Spirit communicates this through the Apostle Peter. Because during that specific era... Christians were regularly persecuted by their government for no other reason other than the fact that they worshiped Jesus Christ and they encouraged others to do so as well. We know that during that era, some were executed, some were imprisoned, some had their jobs and their homes taken away. Uh, I think maybe in a small way, some of us can identify with some of those pains because right now, even though this isn't a matter of persecution, you just kind of look at it and you think, wow, okay, my, my job's been taken away or my liberty to just go around and, and do whatever I wanted to do, it's been taken away. My ability to get together with other people temporarily, it's been taken away. What am I supposed to do? And in that context here where they were dealing with actual persecution, the early believers were encouraged to honor the authorities who had been placed over them as best as they could. And what the Lord was trying to do in that particular context, what he was seeking to do through them, was to silence those who spoke evil of believers. So as the Christians in that context lived with a healthy reverence for God, and as they honored those he brought into their lives, and as they displayed genuine love for one another, 
This would all serve as a powerful testimony that pointed others to Jesus and visibly displayed the miraculous ways he could change a heart, even the kind of heart, a heart like mine, that that would say that there's certainly been times in my life that I've resisted authority or bucked against authority. And you have believers during that time dealing with all sorts of difficulties, but even though many of these early believers were experiencing things like being tossed in prison because of their faith, they were still being encouraged to live as people who were free. So what does that mean? You know, they're, they're told here, they're encouraged to live as people who are free, but yet they were dealing with all sorts of severe forms of adversity. Well, when the Scripture encourages them and encourages us by virtue of being part of, of the church to live as people who are free, we're not being told that we're free to do whatever we feel like doing regardless of the consequences. That's not the the way that this term is being used here. That's not the context of what's being talked about. We're not told to do whatever we feel like regardless of how that impacts other people. What we're told to do is to live as people in whatever context we're in, whatever era we're in, that have an understanding of Christ-centered freedom. It means we're free from the bondage of sin, And it means we're free from an attitude of selfishness. We're being set free through Jesus Christ from being consumed by hatred. We're being set free through Jesus Christ from uh, a desire for uh, for revenge against those that have hurt us in earlier seasons of life. We're basically set free to forgive those who have hurt us, set free to forgive those who have hurt our families. This is the kind of freedom we find in Jesus Christ. We're not entrapped by the mindset of this world. We have a completely different perspective, a completely different mindset, a mindset of freedom in Christ because he set us free. I love what scripture tells us in John chapter 8, verses 34 to 36. You have some words that Jesus directly speaks in this portion of John chapter 8, but I'm going to read it for us. John chapter 8, 34 through 36, the scripture says this, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, what's Christ trying to get at there? What's he illustrating? What's he explaining? He's telling us that in him, in Jesus, we find freedom from sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. Our minds, our hearts, our lives, they no longer need to operate under the control of ignorance or selfishness or rebellion because those are the things that used to drag us down. Those are the things that used to influence us to actually hurt others instead of being a blessing to others. And Scripture tells us that we've been set free. We've been set free to have the mind of Christ. We've been set free to have the heart of Christ and to live as servants in the midst of the context that he's placed us in. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, this idea continues to be developed in these these verses that we're looking at today. And Peter goes on to encourage us to now follow in the steps of Christ, to follow in the steps of Christ. Look at verse 18 down to verse 21. There it says this. It says, "'Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust.'" For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, 
when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. I am very, very grateful for the people that the Lord's placed in my life that I I can continue to look to as examples or that at an earlier season of my life I looked at as examples. There are people in my life that as a child I admired. There are people right now as an adult that I absolutely admire. And typically my admiration, if I truly admire somebody, what that admiration does is it, it turns into a desire to copy their attitudes and their actions. So if I admire someone, I frequently try to follow in their steps. I want to do the things that I've learned from them to do. So if we call ourselves followers of Christ, if I call myself a follower of Jesus Christ, that means I'm called to follow in his steps. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you're called to follow in his steps. That's his calling on our lives. Now, during the earthly ministry of Jesus, what he did was he left us an example. He created an example. He gave us an example of what it looks like to live, love, and serve. We see this all throughout the course of his earthly ministry. During this era of history that you and I live in, Christ lives within us. And what he's doing as he lives within us is he's empowering us to walk as he walked to live as he lived in the midst of the culture that we're in. Now, we're told some of the ways that applies to us when we look at these verses. These verses speak of things like like servants being subject to their masters. And so in that context, when you think of people who are servants and as they're being subject to their masters, it may have referred to maybe household servants who help manage the property and the affairs of their master. Uh, In our context, that could easily apply to us in our workplace. So if you don't own a business yourself, you're, you're very likely working for someone who does own a business. And some of us, I'm sure, throughout the course of our lives have had the privilege to work with gifted leaders. I imagine that plenty of us have also had the opportunity to work with some very difficult bosses. Uh, but being mindful of the example of Christ, how should we serve in the context that we've been called to serve in. Well, one of the things that we're, that we're being prepared for when we look at this passage is the very real possibility of suffering. And I know that that's not pleasant to think about, but it's very much a reality. We may suffer in our personal lives. We may suffer in the context of our employment. Um, we may suffer in the very areas that the Lord is calling us to serve. I think it's safe to say that that suffering is not something that any of us look forward to. I certainly don't look forward to this idea of suffering, but sometimes it's something we're called to do. I have to say, when I'm suffering, I typically spend a decent, uh, a decent portion of time asking the Lord to alleviate my suffering. Uh, when people I love are suffering, I find myself praying that the Lord would remove their suffering from them and, and that the Lord would ease their pain. And that if there's some way I can participate in easing their pain, I ask the Lord to help me figure that out. And, and, and you try and alleviate the suffering of those that you care about. Um, I think probably all of us or most of us have been in a situation where someone we love and someone we care about has passed away after a long illness. 
And uh, typically, in a context like that, one of the things that we often say to ourselves when we see someone, um, you know, at that point just pass away, sometimes we say, well, at least he or she isn't suffering anymore. That's usually one of the things that we repeat to ourselves as we think about that. Well, at least they aren't suffering anymore because we don't enjoy seeing anyone suffer. We don't enjoy suffering. We try and alleviate suffering. That's a a pretty obvious thing that I think most of us, if not all of us, would want to do. But consider for a moment, and this is kind of strange to think about, admittedly, but I want us to be thinking about this today, Uh, not because at this point we're, we're dealing with any sort of major form of suffering. Really, at this point, we're dealing with mass inconvenience. Now, it could get worse. I don't know if it will or if it won't. Uh, I don't have the ability to predict the future, but I do know this, that Scripture tells us that there are actually redemptive aspects to suffering. So I want you to think about that for a moment this morning. Redemptive aspects to suffering. When Jesus came to this earth, what did He do? He came to this earth with the intent to suffer on our behalf. That's what He came to this earth with the desire to do. And in our context, when we endure suffering for His glory, what we're doing is we're operating with a mindset that reflects His mindset. And interestingly, when we go through seasons of suffering, I've I've certainly noticed this in my own life, and you've probably noticed this as well, but I think it's good to bring this back to our memory today. Uh, When we go through seasons of suffering, it's very likely that the Lord will use that season to teach us important things. And some of the things he tends to teach us in the midst of suffering tend to be things like uh, teaching us to pray with sincerity. I know that at times in our lives it could be easy to pray almost as if it's just something that's routine that we do. But I think in suffering we tend to pray with more sincerity, with more emphasis, with more emotion. And so suffering can be something that the Lord uses to teach us to pray with sincerity. I think suffering is also something that the Lord uses to make us stronger. You know, people that have very easy lives tend to be very weak people. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be someone who's weak. And so while I don't enjoy seasons of suffering, I do like what gets produced in my life afterward. Because every season of suffering I've ever gone through, the Lord's used it to make me a stronger person. He strengthened my trust in Him. He strengthened my faith. He strengthened me in other areas of life. He strengthened my mindset. He's given me, um, He's kind of awakened me to abilities that I didn't even know He had given me. And He kind of brings those things to the surface in the midst of suffering. So good things come from suffering. And I'll, I'll tell you a major thing that comes from suffering, and that's this. When you as a believer in Jesus Christ go through a season of suffering and you endure it with joy, what you end up doing is you give people a picture of the power of Christ at work in you that they wouldn't have noticed if everything was going fine. The reason they're noticing it is because things are not going fine, and yet you continue to endure You continue to to provide an example of what it's like to live as one who follows Christ, who has Christ living within them. And I think the Lord also uses seasons of suffering to help us clarify what's really important in the world. You know, you go through a season of suffering and you realize there are a lot of things that in a season of plenty that I, I tend to prioritize, but then that season of plenty ends and you realize that wasn't so important. So the Lord uses seasons of suffering to clarify what actually matters. 
Following in the steps of Christ can be a very difficult path to walk at times. But it also produces the kind of fruit in our lives that the Lord desires to see present among his children. So don't waste those opportunities to continue to grow even in the midst of suffering. Continue to follow the steps of Christ. But I want to encourage us to do one additional thing today, and not just today. This is something that that we need to value over the course of our entire lives, and that's this. Entrust yourself to the one who oversees your soul. Trust the Lord. Entrust yourself to the one who oversees your soul. Look, look, uh, look again at verses 22 down to verse 25. There it says this. And it's speaking of Jesus, and it says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I've asked this question before. I think this is an appropriate time for me to ask this again in light of... of, uh, what we just read here and what we're going through on a day-to-day basis. But let me just ask it this way. And it's kind of an unpleasant thing, but I want you to think about it for just a second because it can be healthy. So for just a few seconds, I want you to think about someone who has recently hurt you or upset you. So think about somebody in your day-to-day life who has recently hurt you or upset you. I have some people in my life that fall into that category. Uh, You probably have some people in your life who have fallen into that category. Someone who has hurt and upset you. And again, I realize that can be unpleasant to think about, but the truth is we tend to think of those people more often than maybe we want to admit to ourselves that we do. We think a lot about the people that hurt us. We think a lot about the people who upset us. And usually when we're thinking about the people who have hurt us or upset us, we're also thinking about some of the unpleasant things that we probably wouldn't be too opposed to seeing them experience. And I think, you know, when we're, we're dealing with situations like that, I think sometimes we really struggle with a desire sometimes for revenge or vengeance. And I think it's a powerful impulse, but it can be very, very unhealthy if it's left unchecked. And it's not something that the Lord wants us as believers to stoke within us. So while there are people in this world that at times who have brought us hurt, uh, who have brought us discomfort or pain, it's not wise ever for us to ever become consumed with getting back at them. And yet again, our example for this particular dilemma or scenario that we find ourselves in is Jesus himself. And the scripture here reminds us that he never did a single thing wrong, ever. Never did a single thing wrong. He never sinned. He never deceived. He never used his words improperly. And yet he was arrested. He was interrogated. He was tortured, and then eventually he was crucified. The penalty for sin was death. So he who had no sin suffered death in our place on the cross so we could be forgiven and so we could be healed. That's what Christ has done for you and for me. He who had no sin took our sin upon himself at the cross so we could be forgiven, so we could be healed. 
When Jesus was being poorly treated during the course of his earthly ministry, and particularly right there at the end where he was very, very noticeably uh, being tortured and hurt and killed, did he seek to harm those who were hurting him? When you look at what the Scripture tells us, it shows how he responded. Did Jesus threaten them? Did he tear them down with his, with his words or, or with his actions? Scripture tells us that he did not tear them down. He did not hurt those who were hurting him. Instead, we're told that he entrusted himself to God the Father, knowing that the Father's judgments are just. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are united as one. So Jesus, by nature, is divine. And yet, during the course of his earthly ministry, again, what did he do? He took the form of of a servant. That was his mindset. That was his attitude. Those were his actions. He took the form of a servant. I love what Scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, down to verse 8. I'm just going to read it really quickly for us. And it says this. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus showed us what it looks like to trust the Father, in the midst of our greatest trials. That's, that's the example he gave us. That's the picture he painted for us. He showed us with his life what it looks like to trust the Father, even in the midst of our greatest trials. So let me say this, and I'll say this basically as we wrap up. I don't know all the details of everything you're going through at this particular season of your life. It's obvious you're dealing with certain challenges. Hopefully they're minor, but maybe they're not minor. Maybe they're major. I don't know all the details of everything you're going through. But I do know this, you can entrust yourself to the one who oversees your soul. That's what Peter talks about in the passage we just read together. You can entrust yourself to the one who oversees your soul. That's what Jesus demonstrated throughout the course of his earthly ministry, even in the midst of great suffering. We don't have to have every last part of God's plan figured out. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know the outcome of everything that right now you're in the midst of experiencing. You don't need to know ahead of time how it all works out because you can trust that God's will is good. And you can trust that if he allows something to come into your life, if you're a child of God, if you have trust in Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us you are a child of God. So if you're a child of God and God allows something to come into your life, Scripture also tells us that if he allows it, it's going to be for your benefit And it's going to be something he uses out of your life to glorify him. So whatever he's allowing right now to come into your life, somehow it's going to be for your benefit. might take a year or two or maybe even just a few weeks before you figure out how the Lord brought benefit to your life through it. But he promises to do it. And if your faith is in Christ, you trust in Jesus Christ, you can face every uncertainty, every unknown about the future, Without a sense of dread, without a sense of fear, you could approach the future with faith, knowing that the Lord has your life securely in His hands. So again, as we finish up, let me say this. 
Christ offers to bless us with the heart of a servant. And he empowers us to live in true freedom. And he inspires us to walk in his steps. And he encourages us to trust the will of God for our lives. So regardless of the difficulties, regardless of the challenges that we face at the present, we can be confident that the Lord will transform our present suffering into future blessing. And in the meantime, please continue to follow Christ's powerful example. Do this for the sake of your spiritual maturity. Do this for the sake of your sanity. Uh, Do this for the sake of your children and for the sake of your community. Serve. Don't sulk. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the privilege that it is to be able to look at your word together this morning and to think about these things and, and what it means to serve, what it means to follow the example that you've given to us through your Son. Lord, we know that uh, so often it's much easier for us to just become self-absorbed. Lord, we don't want to be self-absorbed people. We want to be people who serve for your glory in every context that you place us in. So we're grateful for the opportunities that you give us to do just that. And Lord, we pray that we would honor your name in the midst of our present trials, in the midst of anything that we face in the future. But we pray, Lord, that as we approach these things, that we would do so not with a a prideful swagger, but with a genuine confidence, knowing that you've got all things under control. Lord, I don't know if anyone that, that... right now is uh, under the hearing of this message. I don't know if, if, if anyone that's hearing this right now is dealing with anxiety or worry or fear about the unknown, but if they are, I pray, Lord, that you would give them some relief from the portion of Scripture that we just read together and, and, and talked about for a brief period of time. We pray that you'd comfort their hearts through your Word, through the presence of your Holy Spirit. Uh, we pray that you'd just help and encourage all of us as we navigate some uncharted territory for a little while. And Lord, we're grateful for the fact that our greatest hope is not found in our present-day circumstances being ideal. Our circumstances don't need to be ideal. They don't need to be perfect. So we're just grateful for the fact that we could look at your word and find hope beyond our circumstances. Even as we look at this portion of Scripture today, Lord, we can see that the believers who lived in generations prior to us, they dealt with much more severe things than the inconveniences and, and uncertainties that we deal with at the present. Lord, they dealt with with, uh, some very life-altering things that lasted a very long time. So, Lord, we pray that we keep that in mind as we go through our present trial. We pray that we keep it all in perspective and that we'd simply trust you in the midst of it. And we just thank you in advance for all the good that you're going to bring from it. Good in our lives, good in uh, our country, good in our world. Lord, you bring good out of difficult situations, and we're already anticipating that you'll do just that. So again, Lord, we commit ourselves to you right now. We commit ourselves to you today, this week, this month, and ultimately forevermore, knowing that we can entrust ourselves to to you, the one who oversees our soul, the one who oversees every aspect of our lives. We're grateful for your blessings and for your presence with us now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. When you get the chance, I'd like to invite you to stop by my website, which is desirejesus.com. And when you're there, be sure to sign up for our email list and take advantage of the free books and free resources that we have there to help you grow in your walk with Christ.
And if you feel led to help support this podcast and our other online ministry efforts, please click the link in this episode's description to give a gift. And don't forget to leave the podcast a rating or review via your favorite podcast player. I hope you have a great week, and I'm looking forward to getting together again right here next Monday. Take care. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.